Hi everyone, this is Abby. I just wanted to let you all know that me, Grace, and Amy are going to be at PodCon the weekend after this comes out. So if you are also going to be at PodCon, let us know if you'd be interested in doing a meetup or something like that. We are going to have some stickers of our podcast logo to give away. So if you want a sticker, let us know on social media before PodCon happens. Uh, We're also probably going to try to get some of those stickers out via the Patreon or something post-PodCon, so keep an eye out for that, even if you're not going to PodCon. And thanks for listening. Okay. I guess I'm in charge of this now. (laughs) Great. Um, We're not going to do a question. It's too late for that. (laughs) And welcome to Tortell Recall, the podcast where we reread the Tamara Pierce books and yell about them. This is our special third episode of Squire because we talked too much about Squire. Uh, don't expect us to do this continually. This is we're just doing it this one time, hopefully. Um, I, my name is Abby, and my pronouns are she/her. Um, Grace, I guess you're next. Um, my name is Grace, and my pronouns are she/her. My name Gus? is Gus. Hey, my name is Gus, and my pronouns are they, them. (laughs) Shelby. My name is Shelby, and my pronouns are she, her. Cool. Uh, So where we left off at the last episode was the end of Social Justice Corner, and um, the last thing that we had to talk about, as far as I'm aware, is disability. Um, Okay, I mean, I actually have a couple interrelated disability things that I wanted to bring up. Cool. Um, The first one we've talked about before which is that um, Kel's older brother, Anders, was a knight, had some sort of... Um, I guess he was wounded in battle. I, they definitely said, but it was a couple books ago, and I don't remember. Yeah, it was confirmed that it was during the Immortals' War. Right, okay. He, he had a battle wound. He is now unable to uh, fight as a knight. So what he does is um, he runs Fife Mindelin because Kel's parents are off running around doing all sorts of things. Um, uh, so, you know, Kel seems pretty close to her brother. He gave her um, advice before she left to become a page and she saw him again in this book and they hung out and it was nice. Um, on a, Also on the topic of disability, uh, Kel has a vision from the Chamber of the Ordeal um, and she has, like, three different visions that are all um, basically on the topic of someone needs help, someone she she loves needs help, and she can't help them. Um, but mostly those are, it's like, or more than that, maybe. She has a lot of visions on that topic. <laughs> That's her main fear. Yes. Um, but uh, there's this one specific one where the reason that she can't help people is because there was a jousting accident that went really badly. She There wasn't a healer available, and she ended up with a severe physical disability. Um, and in this sort of vision of her future, that's like the worst thing that's ever happened to her. And she's, I guess, she's living in a small town and she's going to the market, which I don't really know why that's ever a thing that she would, like, she's a noble child. I don't know why that would be the vision of her future. No. Uh, but then bandits attack and she can't defend herself or others against them and she dies. And that's the vision. Um, and I thought it was weird that she would feel that way when she has, like, 
a brother that she's fairly close to who is disabled and is still like doing stuff with his life and like has children that he's raising and stuff. Right. But I mean, I guess it's the chamber of the ordeal. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good point, Abby. And um, yeah, I guess it's just odd that, like you said, like it's not really a representation likely of what Kel's like life would be like if she was disabled. So there's a lot of uh, confusing elements about it. Um, I mean, but I think yeah. that it's Im- it's important that a lot of the way that she feels like she brings value to the world is helping people, and then it's presented that she would be completely unable to do that if she was physically disabled. And both, I believe, she would still be able to help people, and if she couldn't help people in the same ways, that wouldn't mean that she wasn't able to contribute, or that contributing is the most important thing she would be doing. Shelby, did you have Yeah, something? there's. this is definitely a, a place where I'm thinking about, like, multiple lenses here. Because, on the one hand, like, within the context of Kel, I don't think this is entirely unreasonable. Like, as a young person whose entire career right now is about her body, like... Uh-huh. I think that it makes perfect sense for her to be very freaked out about this. And, like, yes, her brother is disabled and has a fulfilling life, but also I don't think she wants her life to go the way that Anders has gone in any way, and I think that's makes sense. Like, I mean, I, I agree that it's not an unreasonable for, fear for Kel to have in her society and her point at, in life, but I... I don't. I guess I don't really appreciate it being presented by the Chamber of the Ordeal and in the narrative. Right. That's why I was about to say, like, this is a multiple lenses thing. So, like, in I, I think it. I think it's important to recognize that, like, that's a totally like, as a person who is able-bodied, it's not necessarily like unreasonable to not want your life to change in that way. I think that's within like that makes sense, but that's mm-hmm. not the same thing as saying like within the narrative, it's a great way. So it's a great thing to be our main representation of disability is just within this nightmare. Um, and so, like, yes, we have Anders, but he's very minor and we don't really know what his life is like very much beyond the fact that he's no longer being a knight the way he was before. Um, so from that perspective, I think, yeah, like, you don't, like... <laughs> Disability is hugely complicated because, like, you can talk about the social model of disability (laughs) and the medical model of disability, and most people I've seen who are reasonable note that both of those models are real and true and have value and explain things about the world. Um, But the fact is that when we're looking at this book as literature, like... It's it's a matter of representation, and it's a matter of, like, when this is our one main representation, it's not great. Yeah, right. Like, even as a comparison, um, she has a vision of, uh, before, she, before Raoul takes her on as his squire, she has a vision um, of herself as a squire to a desk knight, you know, where she never gets to see any action and she's always stuck in the palace. And that's also, like, a huge fear of hers. But after she has that vision, she does think, like, well, at least I would be a squire, you know, like, I, and then eventually I'd be a knight and, like, you know, I, I could deal with that. And I don't think she ever has that, a similar sort of thought process for, like, well, if I got horribly injured and, you know, ended up disabled, like, 
I could I would keep living my life like yeah, she doesn't even ever have that thought I don't think yeah that is um I think brings out some of the elements that are not great about that vision do we have anything else for disability um yeah well that's basically all I wanted to say I mean we talked about alcoholism in the previous episode um this book does have some good representation Definitely. of that which is cool yeah do we have piercing the veil stuff uh, I thought someone yeah. said they did maybe that was me <laughs> okay this was not actually a discovery from this read through this was a discovery that I made the last time I reread these books in college um but mm-hmm. I love it and it's that in the acknowledgement section of this book we have this note that says um uh thus indirect thanks are to you to British author J.K. Rowling no I don't know her personally whose wild success with the Harry Potter books has convinced American publishers that perhaps their authors could manage to sell longer books too um and I love this as like a fan of the children's book genre like because it points out that like this book would have not been publishable like pre-Harry Potter because pre-Harry Potter you did not sell children's books that were over 300 pages it just didn't happen like you would be forced to cut it down before you could sell it um but it's just this fun little historical note this came out like right right after that like right as soon as you could start and now we see like regularly selling children's books that are 400 pages and now here we are recording our third episode on this book it's all your fault, J.K. Rowling. Like so many things. Um, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's really cool. And just, um, you know, it is uh, an important reminder that, um, you know, it's not like Tamara Pierce wasn't a proven author. Like she was well known enough that she could get contracts to write four or three series. That's not nothing. But uh, mm-hmm. she still mm-hmm. needed this push to change the genre. Yeah. It is notable that the Alana books, like... They got published, but mm-hmm. as four books, not as one book, you know? Right. To move yeah. them into the, the younger genre, you had to split it into four, which is a pretty right. big uh, decrease. I guess that just reminds me that I do appreciate the thought behind writing this complex of a book and this long of a book for kids. I think that kids um, or young readers can definitely handle this much complexity and this length. And I think that it's uh, important. Uh, for Tamara Pierce to put that trust in her readers to be able to follow these characters and follow these different th- story threads, and it's something that I do appreciate her as an of her uh, as an author. And I think part of the reason that even as adults we can get so much out of these series is that she takes her readers really seriously, even mm-hmm. when assuming that they're quite young. Yeah, yeah, and this series feels a lot. I mean, maybe partially because I read it as a kid, but. Um... Uh, you know, but the difference between First Test and Lady Night feels so huge. It really does feel like this yeah. series kind of grows up with you, um, which is a cool phenomenon that I feel like Harry Potter also probably influenced. And a bookseller's nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. But I mean, I read them when I was a kid. At first, this was the first series that I read. So I read them when I was young. And I definitely like started out with First Test being my favorite book. And then I think every book was my favorite book at some point on a different reread when I could appreciate a different one. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So I'm excited to read Lady Night and see if that resonates with me even more now. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Friendship, the Queen's Riders. Love them. Love them so much. Love friends. They're some good friends. There was just like a really good running like 
friend plotline in this book, which was everyone trying to get <laughs> Roll and Shinkakami to get along, and in the process, like Roll, Roll and Burry, like also figuring out that they're good at parties, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good friend uh-huh. plotline. I really enjoyed it. They have fun together. They go to some good parties and somewhat enjoy them, uh, like any introvert might. <laughs> yeah, no, and they create this whole like. Uh, uh, like you know they deal with the big parties at midwinter by creating like sub parties where they just get all their friends in a corner oh, i have done that several times <laughs> cal and the squire is teaming up with the um with yuki to like uh get everyone together and and like engage rolled and yes, shinkakami very, very good. good love it um yeah i just i liked all the new friends that we met um I think that they were really good, um, you know, obviously not flawless representation, but still good characters. I was really excited that Burry came back. <laughs> That's definitely one of the yeah. characters where... Burry was in this so much. It was great. We had one of my favorite moments, which is very important to discuss this holiday season, um, because <laughs> Raul and Burry actually did have a holiday fake dating plotline for their get-together, but it was like, blink and you fake miss dated. it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it happened off screen, but it's so good. I want another book that's just about them and about that. Yeah, or like a a rom com yeah. movie. I would I would watch it every Christmas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fantasy holiday rom com. This is the untapped potential of a genre. Um, it definitely that's, that's is. literally what fan fiction is. <laughs> I mean, tell me where the fanfic of this is, and I will read You're it. Right. Please do. But. Please. Um, yeah, Burry coming back definitely gave me the reaction of like, oh, my personal friend, Burry. Not a character <laughs> yeah. in this book. My friend. Um, friend yeah. of me, Grace. Um, uh, except a personal character. Yeah. I just said my own name so weird. I'm tired. Um, but yeah, I was excited that some of some old favorites came back and got together. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Two of my faves. Yeah, no, right. I I appreciate that it was like Burry and Raul were here from past books, but also yeah. now they're super good buddies with each other, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Yeah, I don't know what else. Any other? I mean, there were a lot of like good I mean, friendships between female characters, but as we said in the previous episode, hard to shout out all of them. Yeah, which is amazing in and of <laughs> itself. It's not. Right. It's not friendship exactly in the typical sense, but I feel like. And I know we've already given a lot of time to it, but I did want to talk a little bit about just um, Kel and Raul and Raul as a mentor yes. and Kel, like, and just the fact yeah. that they're, um, like, that Raul and Kel were very much, like, friends and, like, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and Kel remarked at one yeah, point really that are. Raul never spoke down to her and really treated her as an equal, um, you know, if, like, oh, an equal who he, you know, maybe knew more about in the things that he was, you know, supposed to be yeah. mentoring her in. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I really, I love that relationship. Yeah, I mean, so I think something that you see a lot in the, um, something that you see a lot in the books is, um, that, like, Raul makes decisions and then takes right. a lot of time so to explain good. them to Kel. Like, going back to when he asks her to be his squire, and she's like, um, 
you know, like, are you just doing this for, like, a political move? And he's like, no, like, here's all the ways that you're, you know, really useful and, like, really Yeah, capable. no, and I want to specifically shout out the fact that what I loved about that was that it's actually pretty rare to see that, especially in fantasy and science fiction, I feel like. Um, there is often this trope of, like, the mentor who doesn't explain things and just manipulates you into doing what needs to be done to save the world or whatever. Um, and Raul is, like, such a subversion of that trope because, like, every time, like, every time there's, like, oh, he's, like, making her do the thing that's hard, like, when he, um, at Alice Hollow, when she has to go and do, like, the scut work, he's, like, these are, like, the three reasons that we're doing this and, like, so that you understand both that, like, I'm not, you know, out to get you, I'm just trying to set you up for success here. Um, but then also so that she understands that office politics so that she can do it in the future. And that's, like, both, as I said, unusual for the genre. Also just, like, good mentoring for people to understand. Like, I recognize now what I didn't when I was a kid, but, like, I now see some of the things that my last mentor at my last job did. Like, she would do the same thing after a meeting. We'd come out and she'd be like, okay, this is why I'm having you do this, even though I know you don't like working with this person. Like, let's talk through it and, like, understand how this is going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I've also had, like, the most rewarding experience experiences with mentoring been not getting talked down to, but having things thoroughly explained so that I could benefit from the experience of somebody else. Um, so that's great. I really like it. Okay, wait, Gus, were you going to say something about Raul and Kel? I love them. <laughs> okay. They're good. They're good friends, and good. And he's a good mentor, and it's great. Good, we did that. Um, any other friendship stuff that's about humans? <laughs> oh, I have one actually. Um, this is. I mean, it's not. It's not on the page, and it's not a friendship really that we see much about, much of. But I really like that we do see some amount, and we get um, explicit mentions of the fact that Thayet and Shinko Kami are hang- yeah. hanging out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate that because, I mean, Thayette was a princess from a foreign place who came to Tortal and had to, like, figure stuff out. And now she's oh, helping to so nice. do that. And that's really nice. Yeah. And she's learning, she's learning the glaive and everything. It's, nice. it's great. It's really yeah. nice. Yeah. And it just I- does make you think about, like, I know Thayette and Alana were friends, but still, like, Thayette must have been really lonely when she initially came to Tortal and, um... It's cool. Yeah. Friendship. Yeah. I wonder, um, I don't know if we have much to say about it, but Kel has some Yamani friends. Yeah. Who show up. Um, and who she has, like, you know, a history of friendship with, who she was friends with, you know, when she was a kid. Um, and it's, it's neat to see, you know, um, you know, like reconnecting with childhood friends, Um, and I know we have some issues with, Mm -hmm. uh, how the, you know, how the Yamani characters are, you know, largely, uh, especially when interacting with, uh, some of the teen boys, um, objectified and treated as, like, love interests, question mark. Anyways, there's, yeah, there's some issues with how they're treated within the narrative, but it's, you know. It's nice to see Kel and her friends hanging out. Yeah, it is. 
Yeah, no, and it is kind of a sweet storyline that, um, you know, is probably something that a lot of people have as they, you know, transition from being kids to teens to adults of, you know, knowing someone really well as a kid and then not seeing them for a long time and maybe reconnecting with them. Right, and I actually, like, I think that's a really cool thing to represent, too, that, like, she forms new relationships with them as an adult, but at the same time, you know, they are able to get along really well, part of, partially because of what they shared as young people and being sort of, like, shaped in the same ways by their experiences. So I think Mm -hmm. that's a really cool thing. And, yeah, I was just excited for, for Kel to have those friends and more women uh, in her friendship circle and things like that. Like, equally exciting. I was um, glad to see those characters come in. Oh! I was just going to say, we would we, we have to at least, at very least, mention, although we may have done this in our first episode for this, Alana and Kel had a conversation. Or yeah. had yeah. at the very end of this. Yeah, they did. I think they had multiple conversations in this book, right? They had one Oh, it was at... so good. Yeah. Yeah. They had a couple, yeah, because, right, they had a, a sort of covert one where, yeah. um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. My favorite thing about that second uh, one, I think it was the second one, mm-hmm. actually, that's wrong. It was the first one, when the covert conversation, um, was just, I, I have it written down because it so rem- it reminded me a little bit of Dane being like, what, me, a hero? That there's basically <laughs> a moment of, me, teach the lioness? And I Oh, I appreciated how much yeah (laughs) yeah there is that yeah right because I mean Alana is such a hero to Kel but this is the first book where they've managed to actually have like a real relationship that's not you know I guess (laughs) double one-sided like you know Alana's trying to support Kel from a distance but Kel doesn't know it's her and Kel really looks up to Alana but has never really interacted with her is Mm -hmm. double one-sided a thing I don't know if that's (laughs) It is in this book. Look, they manage it. I don't. It, it um. is in this book. Um, also, sort of speaking of Alana, or as a segue anyway, uh, there's not a ton of Neil in this book, but it is very sweet that when Alana asks him to be uh, her squire, his immediate first thought is like, okay, but what Kel about Cal? trying to be normal and just like making fun of his inability to eat vegetables as like the only way she could think of to be normal? <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah it's really sweet they're trying to support each other also on that thread i just deeply did appreciate the repeated reminders of the fact that neil is a complete like dramatic ridiculous mess and alana is a complete dramatic ridiculous mess (laughs) (laughs) and like the book did not shy away from the fact that that's a ridiculous like pair of people to have to get along yeah Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, Kel and Raul are so similar in that they're very like stable and like thoughtful, and you know, they're they're good at like managing things. And then Alana and Neil <laughs> right. are just out no. There I think also. that is actually pretty funny because a couple of times we saw Raul play that um, that role for Alana, right, where he was kind of like, I don't know if it's that big of a deal. Um, and then Kel <laughs> consistently plays that for Neil, and then both of the people who are out there being dramatic just get together and apparently try and handle situations like i don't know how that went i would also read that book i guess i would read that like comedy book so fast yeah like it would have to be humor based entirely or like right. series of comics i feel like that would make a good comic strip. i would really read that oh, yeah. yeah fan yeah. artists out there yeah 
just Neil Alana interactions. There's it's not true. enough of those They're on really the page, goofy. honestly. <laughs> um, both Neil and Alana as people, and I want yeah. more of them interacting since we know it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they spend four years together. Wait, one. This is one very minor thing. Uh, Numer's only appearance in this book is um, when Raoul is having an awkward time at a party and Dane and Numer are too bu- busy talking about <laughs> books to notice that. <laughs> yes. That's very adorable. <laughs> They're such nerds. <laughs> okay, animal friendship. There's some, probably. There's a. There's Kel a raises a child. <laughs> Kel does raise a terrible, terrible toddler. Yeah, but she she ends up loving it, which is cute. I mean, I don't really understand why, but also I do feel like if I had to take care of a griffin for like two years, right. I would probably end up feeling affection for it. But also the griffin hurts her so much in the beginning. So do cats. Yeah. So much blood. So much blood. And like the sheer amount of time that Tamara Pierce spends like explaining exactly why she has to get hurt this much is like a little weird. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of time devoted to, like, well, she could try leather gloves, but it doesn't work. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right, like, so many different reasons that she she needs to, like, get her hands cut open every right. day. Yeah. Like, unnecessary. Very it's very weird. But it was cute that Kel was sad when she had to give the griffin back to its parents, yeah. and then she named her sword griffin. Very cute. Also cute and related to the griffin kind of being a terrible pet, um is uh this like friendship in this case between animals um there's like several moments where like the other animals like have solidarity about the fact that like they're not the griffin (laughs) and like they need to defend themselves from the griffin (laughs) um so we get that moment like pretty early on i think um when uh there's a mention of like the the sparrows like hanging out with peach blossom and like on peach blossom's mane because like even the griffin, like, is not, like, intimidating <laughs> to Peach Blossom, and Peach Blossom, like, won't accept its issues. Um, and then I also- I love my friend uh, Peach Blossom. Peach Blossom's great. Um, and then also later, when the griffin attacks one of the sparrows, um, Jump, like, defends them, and, like, yeah. corners the griffin under a desk. Right. Um, so yeah, the the sparrows and her other, her other animals being friends is great. Um, speaking of the sparrows, uh, Kasim brought cherries for them, <sighs> even though he cherries. hadn't seen them in years. That was so and sweet. that was really sweet. Oh, Very good. Um, the other, there's another really, really important friendship, animal friendship thing that I need to mention here, um, because in the first Squire episode, we were talking about, um... Laurent and how he's kind of a trash boy and he is kind of a trash boy but he raised an orphaned squirrel you guys he found and raised an orphaned squirrel and yeah I'm very endeared to him for that reason in this book especially I did feel like there was just very deliberate like pet the dog moments all of the time like even like Mm -hmm. when Raul comes to um ask her to be his squire There's, like, this, like, thread throughout the entire conversation that, like, while he's talking to her, he's, like, playing fetch with jump. Um, (laughs) and it's just, like, such this obvious, like, oh, and remember we like Raul, because Raul likes jump. Um. I mean, that's not the only reason, but. (laughs) That is also, like, a weird thing, uh, 
juxtaposed with Wilden, who I still don't like, but <laughs> yeah. who really likes Dawn. Yeah, I mean, we like Raul for a lot of reasons, but literally the only pro-Wilden evidence is that he likes dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Another good um, moment with yeah. Raul and the animals is when he's teaching her to tilt uh, the first time and all of the animals attack him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because Pell so did not protected. give them the speech that she gave them in Paige, where she's like, "It's a game. We don't, we yeah. don't hurt the other people because we're just training." Yeah, I mean, I do. I am really starting to question whether like owning these animals <laughs> is a thing that humans can do, like the ones in the palace, because like in this book, yeah. they're absurdly smart. Yeah, but uh, they're good friends. It's like it's getting kind of weird, honestly. I mean, I'm into it, but also I feel like, like how I feel like the reason yeah. it works in the context of Kel is that, as far as we can tell, Kel does not actually own any of her animals. All of her animals have entered into consensual friendships with Kel, well, except for Peach because, Blossom. like, right. Peach Blossom, they she has like agency. explicitly mm-hmm. negotiated her relationship with through Dane. Jump, she did not try to have Jump as a pet. Jump just kept showing up yeah. and she couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> and like, like, right, she specifically talks to the sparrows. Yeah. Like, and asks them, like, are you sure you want to come with us? Like, they all agreed very explicitly. <laughs> right. She tried to not have Jump as a pet. That was Jump's choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I think your point holds for other animals in the palace, but but Kel does not own pets. Kel just has friends yeah. who happen to be animals. That's true. That's yeah. very true. Kel respects everyone's rights. It does seem that, like, one place where uh, there's a lot of agency for people is if they are animals. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, a line, uh... I think, when this is uh, yeah. more serious than we were talking about. There's, sorry, there's a line when they're talking with the centaurs early on when Raul is like, you know, all of our horses are getting real smart because Dane's there, so pretty sure, pretty soon they'll all just be working like, oh, the only horses we're going to have at the palace are the ones who are like working for us consensually in like yeah. an agreement. And I don't know how I feel about that. It just in terms of like, it just struck me as such a like, well, that's convenient for you. Like, <laughs> sort of like way of... Like, you know, the having the, I think having the immortals around is really, like, sort of, and also having introduced Dane, especially, really blurred the line for, like, what, you know, like, is it okay to, like, just be, have for them to be keeping horses? And, like, yes, they have a wild mage. Now it's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. It struck me as, like, <laughs> the sort of thing that, like, you know, romantic fantasy can pull off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I really want to read that story where it's, like, Dane's been hanging around the palace for, like, a decade or something and, like, you know, has affected all the animals there to the point that they really have to, like, figure out how to live with right. animals in a different way, you know? Yeah, it is that's definitely an interesting, interesting story. Yeah, and you can have as supporting characters Stefan and Onua and Dane. Best. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be so good. We have so many good series pitches or book pitches for <laughs> Tamara Pierce here. Um, I also just wanted to point out the uh, there's a bit of an I am no man line here with Peach Blossom was no man's friend, but he suited Kel nicely. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good line. That. That's great. Uh, one last note, which we kind of 
did bring up in the first episode of this uh, book many, many moons ago. Um, but the um, just the fact that Hell, <laughs> when she's stressed out waiting for her ordeal, just wants to go and hang out with her animals and not talk to anybody was the most relatable yeah. thing about yeah. this book. <laughs> mm-hmm. um time for ratings the chamber of the ordeal uh it's been so long since i've done a rating <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i don't know i like when i when i read it i uh i figured like nostalgia 10 out of 10 12 out of 10 whatever you know but we did talk about it enough that like I don't know. There, there, there are just such a few tiny things that threw it off for me that I, and I kind of wasn't expecting that. I mean, I should have known better than to, after we've done uh, Alana and Dane, I should have known better than to, than to be like, oh, Kel is perfect, but uh, in my head it kind of was. So, like, I'm going to give it, like, a 9.8 out of 10. <laughs> um, it's still really, really good. I love it a lot. I really, really enjoyed reading this book. Um, but there were just, like, a few things that stuck out to me. Um, also, I've read it pretty recently, so uh, it wasn't as much, like, a throwback to my childhood, but still an amazing book. Animal Friendship. I'm going to go with 8 out of 10. Partially because it's not, like, as much the focus, and also, like, there's a lot of really good animals. Um, some of them are a little creepily smart, I think, <laughs> personally. <laughs> Uncanny Valley. A little verging on Uncanny Valley. Um, I would still recommend this book to absolutely everyone. But I feel like I, I... I don't know if I said this last time also. Maybe. But, like, especially I feel like this is a really good book or this series is a really good series to give to young boys who might not feel like they want to read about girls. But if it's a girl becoming a knight, then that might be a good way to get them into it. And then they can read it something with a girl protagonist. Mm, so that's... Mm-hmm. so. Generally, everyone, but specifically, young boys looking for fantasy. Now someone else has to go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, I can go. Cool. Um, For nostalgia, I mean, I have to give this a 10 out of 10. I had a really difficult time reading this book just because I had to stop every, like, page and, like, have yeah, emotions <laughs> for, like, three so minutes. Just, <laughs> I, you know, I would just, like, put it down and like turn to my girlfriend and be like so like Raul said a thing and I can't handle it I did like cry so multiple times reading this book just cause I love it so much it's a yeah. good book uh huh um, I think I also have to give it a perfect rating for animal friendship just because there was inter-animal friendship that's true that's which was next really level good. yeah yeah. yeah, it was just, it was, like, transcendent a little bit. And, you know, I love that griffin. <laughs> I want a cat with wings. That could kill me. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. My cat can yeah. kill me. It just, he refrains from it because he loves me, <laughs> I believe. Um, and as for who I would recommend this to, um, you know, of, of course, like, generally everybody. Um, and Abby, I agree with your... With your recommendation, especially. That's a good one. Um, I've been uh, carrying it around with me in hopes that people will ask it, <laughs> ask me about it. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I, I uh, did manage to recommend it to 
um, a coworker and nice. a kid I work Good with. Good job. So that's my nice. answer. I really enjoyed reading this book. Um, I. Yeah, I've, I I want to give it, yeah, like 10 out of 10. It's a good book. There are some things that bother me, um, but I think that you can kind of, you know, have these good conversations about them. Maybe not 10 out of 10. Like Abby said, like a 9.8. It's a good book. Um, and uh, Animal Friendship. I also like the interspecies community <laughs> building and friendship. Um, so I give that um, like a... Like an 8 out of 10. I'm also creeped out by the animals that are too smart. And I think the griffin <laughs> is too It's very sharp. bloodthirsty. Um, <laughs> um, even though I like griffins in other books, I think he's a great concept. Or the griffin's a great concept, but it's too much it, hurting. I do kind of like um, the fact that, like, the griffin is a truly wild animal. I mean, it, like, in some ways the griffin is like a toddler mm-hmm. Because we know that they get smart when they're adults, but it's not like it's not like kitten or even yeah, like jump, where it's like you know, kind of like like a really loyal pet that's also like kind of sm- like really smart and like you can sort of communicate. Nope, the griffin is just an <laughs> animal that Kel has to take care of, and that like there's something good about that too. <laughs> yeah, there, there's something very good about it. I don't know if you can classify it completely as friend because it hurts Kel <laughs> a lot. Less yep. on the friendship, but high score on the animal. Animal frenemy. <laughs> yeah. Who would I recommend this to? I would recommend this to a lot of people. I actually think it's a great place. I know some people are very bothered by reading series out of order, but if you're trying to convince someone in your life who is um, not normally super tolerant of reading books for younger readers, mm-hmm. um, to give Tamara Pierce a try, mm-hmm. I think this could mm-hmm. be a good place for them to start because you see a lot of the the good bits of her writing in something that has like a little bit more complex um, things going on. So it might be a little bit more exciting for people. Yeah. So um, I think this is a great book to recommend to people if you want them to try out. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think that it's true that like, um, obviously there's two previous books in this series, but if you know that Tamara Pierce is going to be a hard sell, like the beginning yeah. of this book has enough exposition that you should be able to like jump into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe someone who like mm-hmm. is pretty like, enjoys fantasy a lot but doesn't necessarily read a lot of YA yeah um this book has a lot more like fantasy elements that are bigger parts of the genre so it could be a good starting point Shelby um yeah I think I'd give this book a 10 out of 10 not necessarily because like as as you've all mentioned there are definitely like things that still give me reservations but I think my my top of my skill has to include that because I think yeah, that's inevitable to some degree when you're rereading <laughs> books from your childhood, and and it's not necessarily a problem for me in reading the book to have to confront that. Um, so yeah, I love this book to death. Every time I read it, I like am reminded of the fact that I basically have it memorized, and like there, like every time there's a good line, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just like saying that along in my head because because <laughs> I already know it. Yeah, I love them all. Um. <laughs> But, and then, um, animal friendship. It's hard. I really like the animal. I love Kel's animals. Like, Kel's animals may be my favorite animals. Um, I just, like, she makes me care so much about sparrows. Like, (laughs) that's amazing. (laughs) Um, so I think on that, I'll give it a 10 out of 10. Like, in other words, like, in some ways, Dane, like, there may be more emphasis on the animals in Dane because it's that's what the books are about. But I just love how they are in Kel so much. I love the animals specifically. I love the fact that 
you know, she's she gets to have all of these animal friends despite not being magical <laughs> in any way. They just <laughs> like her. Um, so yeah, 10 out of 10 for animals. Um, and as for who I, I would recommend it to, um, pretty much everything everyone has said, I recommend this book to everyone, and um, I do especially recommend it to young boys. Um, we hand sell this super hard in my mom's bookstore all the time, um, including, like, making it a blind date with a book um, with no indicators that it has a female mm. protagonist, in part to specifically sell it to young boys. Do you want to um, um, explain who... what blind date with a book is if people don't know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Blind date with a book is the best uh, independent bookseller thing where um, you wrap up a book in um, blank paper so that people can't see what it is, and then you write things about the book on it um, so that people have to decide whether they want to read the book without seeing the cover or knowing all of the information. Um, and it can be a really good good thing for getting people to read outside their comfort zone. Um, and I, like, think I still have, like, the jubilant text on my phone from my brother the first time we successfully <laughs> sold uh, first test that way to a young boy. Because, um, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah. how you do it. I wish that I had, this is slightly off topic, but I wish that I had, like, a record of, like, how I've rated all the books because I feel like my scale just varies wildly. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think my standards for how I write change, too, oh, totally. because I know sometimes, sometimes, you know, well, nostalgia is purely, they're, they're all completely arbitrary. <laughs> I would like to have some, some transparency <laughs> and just acknowledge right now, completely <laughs> yeah. arbitrary. And they do not yeah, reflect, definitely. I want to just make it clear that, the, that neither of the rating scales reflect the quality of the book. <laughs> Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. I mean, I think we've kind of done that on purpose, right? Yeah, that totally. we don't rate the book like the objective yeah. quality of the book. We rate great. our experiences. Yeah. Silly Goodreads, mm-hmm. you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> book ratings, nonsense. Um, let's <laughs> let's do palace gossip. Uh, Grace, you want to read the letter that we have? We got a great tweet uh, that really pointed out something that personally I hadn't thought about at all um, from at Queen Blurblab on Twitter, I think. Um, and um, they pointed out at Tordal Recall. Do we read that part? Maybe. Uh, I wonder if King John picks sure. Zaheer because he's the voice and already has knowledge of his mind. Um, so that's referencing an idea that came up in Alana, but was not mentioned in Cal, uh, that John became the voice of the tribes of the Bazir and, um, gained access to a kind of, like, collective shared conscience, right? Yeah. That's sort of the idea. I don't totally remember how it works, but um, it's kind of like their magical and spiritual leader, and he can, I think, communicate telepathically with all of the individual Bajir. Yeah. Right. And assuming that gives yeah. him a lot of In certain contexts, yeah. yeah. Oh, and sorry, the same person went on to say in a, a second tweet, um, right, I don't think it's mentioned in the Cal books that he's the voice. I'd assume it's not common knowledge. And since it's from Cal's point of view, the reader wouldn't know. For all we know, Zaheer might not communicate with the voice, which is a good question. Like, do people who aren't living in uh, completely in Bazir society anymore still have the same relationship with it? We really don't know a lot about this as a concept. Yeah, I mean, our only data point is Alana, who has been adopted into right. a tribe and is not part of the culture, so that's not a great data point. Yeah. No. I also yeah. would like to note that I think there's only at most a 50% chance that Tamara Pierce actually remembered any of this <laughs> while writing this particular plot point. 
yeah. I have another data point for this. I mean, we can talk about this in a, I no, I guess I'll say it now and we can circle back around. Um <clears throat> you know, death of the author, we should take the text on its own merits, all of that stuff. Um someone did send us, I believe, um a quote from a Tamara Pierce mm-hmm. interview where she said um in terms of like things that she would like to change about her universe, she said if I could figure out a way for John to give back the voice of the tribes without killing him, that she would want to do that. I say just kill him. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that sh- so she is on record as saying that she, I, th- I guess, doesn't want John to be the voice of the tribes anymore, which suggests that she's still thinking about it, but also maybe that she regrets some of the way she handled that. I don't think we should like read mm-hmm. too much into what she said outside of the text, but I did want to mention that. No, that's important, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, no, I do think it adds like yeah. a weird, like, I don't know if she was thinking of it in the context of the Kell books, but I do think it adds a much creepier layer to that relationship that I'm not into. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just think it's, it's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of power to have right. over one person to be both their, like, night master and also to, like, have some amount of psychic insight right. and to be, like, a religious and spiritual leader in their you know in their culture and like and also to be the king yeah, you know i mean like so that's a lot things. right there and and on top of being the king of a country where i would assume that zahir functions as somewhat of like an immigrant like he's still an outsider in that society he's already uh you know going to be treated differently and then yeah. you know to be squired to the king who also has some sort of special psychic insight into his mind and like apparently a direct line to his you know, deity, like, there's a lot there. Yeah, it's kind of messed up. Um, Yeah, so, like, it's it's not to say that this absolutely, that this has to be a relationship that is unhealthy, mm-hmm. um, but just that it's a dynamic that just thrown out there with no other explanation, right. and especially with, like, what we know about John and his history. Yeah, I mean, I feel like John has never been, I mean, much more in the Kel books than he was in the Alana books, but, like, historically, he's not been someone who's, like, really responsible about how he uses power he has over other people, you know? Right. Although at the time he was a teenager, so maybe he has learned a lot, but at the same mm-hmm. time, we don't see that, like... yeah. Right. I mean, we we don't see any of the inside yeah. of this relationship, so we can only speculate. But I, right. you know, I really praised it in a previous episode, and now I feel much worse about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess that's that's palace gossip. Thank you for pointing that out. It's really uh, an interesting facet of this conversation. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it just like it is so important for people to have autonomy. So if this undermines that, even if it were to be, you know. Uh, John is great with power and he only tries to do good things with it like that still takes away autonomy so it's negative Uh, yeah well thank you for sending that in Um, we're kind of disorganized this month so I think we still don't have thank yous for social media but thank you to everyone who uh, tweeted at us I did not acquire thank yous in the past hour while recording (laughs) this podcast no I know I'm just I'm saying that for the listeners (laughs) 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 I know that you don't have them Um, but thank you (laughs) thank you to everyone who tweeted at us or tumblr at us or emailed us we really appreciate it we'll shout you out by name in the future at some point oh wait Uh, i do can i say thank you to one person yes um i'm on our twitter uh thanks at uh 
jovingly for the great tweet, uh, me every time I heard green sleeves this holiday season, why is this coffee shop playing the Tortal Recall theme song? (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that we've ruined you. (laughs) Are they playing the dubstep version? I want to know. Probably not, but I hope so. Can I play the dubstep version at my job where I'm required to play Christmas music is the real question here. Yes. You can. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, cool, yeah. So you can, uh, if you would like to be one of the people who we're not thanking currently, but who we <laughs> still very much love and appreciate, <laughs> um, you can follow us or get in touch with us um, at Tortal Recall on Twitter, uh, tortalrecall.tumblr.com. Other ones, I don't know. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Try Tortal Recall, whatever you're on. Try it. Yeah. It might work. We're not on Pillow Fort yet, but. We have a Patreon. If you'd like to support us, uh, that's patreon.com slash Tortal Recall. And there's uh, bonus content on there. For the last couple episodes, we've had um, outtakes from the show in addition to uh, content from the people who weren't on these episodes. So there's a bunch of extra audio there if you want to check that out. Uh, yeah. Also, you can email us, um, at tortalrecall at gmail.com. Cool. We did it. And our music is Green Sleeves by Zeta, as previously mentioned. You can find it on SoundCloud. Cool. Thank you. Um, I hosted this whole episode, so I feel like someone else should have to say the sign off. <laughs> See you, Tortellini. Oh, thank you, Grace. You're a hero. Grace is motivated to be done. I'm really excited to be done. Yeah, I know this about you.